Purple Insider is presented by Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com and use the code PURPLE for a first deposit match up to $100. Prizepicks.com, code PURPLE. Another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with former Minnesota Viking Jeremiah Searles. Jeremiah, we have a Super Bowl matchup. Your thoughts? You excited? Oh, yeah, I am. I'm not excited that Kansas City's in it, but I am excited that there's going to be a Super Bowl. Um, what a great weekend of football. Like, I know the Ravens game wasn't, it didn't live up to what I thought it was going to be. But the the Lions Niners game was everything you can hope for as far as an entertainment aspect of you know which is what we are we're entertainers right Roman gladiators are you not entertained type of thing but really enjoyed this week's football I think the Super Bowl is gonna be really good but we just you can't bet against Mahomes man it's it's getting old and tiresome for me to be like maybe this is it maybe this is where they fall and then him to just go out there and just dice people apart like it's nothing and. I mean, to watch him and say he's going to be one of the greatest of all time, you almost have to be like, no, he might be the greatest of all time, right? People are already saying Aaron Donald's wearing his golden jacket already while still playing. Well, you might as well put one on Mahomes too. Uh, yeah, gotten to be a little frustrating um, because I like when teams that have not been there or great quarterbacks whose narrative has been that they can't get there like Lamar Jackson. And uh, so I was thinking, man, if Lamar makes it, it will kind of solidify and he's going to be likely the MVP of the league. So it's not like anyone doesn't think Lamar Jackson is great, but sort of solidify who he is in the league as a quarterback that is upper, upper echelon franchise quarterback. They gave him all the money last year after all that nonsense with his business partner calling about trades and all the crazy stuff that kind of went down. And so I thought it would have been cool if he made it, but he honestly didn't play well enough. And we also have to talk about Steve Spagnuolo as well. Mm. And the defense that Kansas city has put together. It's like, Not fair for them uh, with Patrick Mahomes, who I believe has been sacked one time in three games. Look at the teams that he's beat, the players that he's beat, the offenses that they've gone against and outmatched. And then you have their defense as well. Chris Jones playing dominant football. And I think a really important note for the Vikings to take uh, as they watch this. The secondary of the Kansas City Chiefs is phenomenal. I don't think you could go deep in the playoffs without a really good secondary. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, and when you pair that secondary with a guy who can get to the passer consistently, no matter where you line him up at end, at nose, at three technique, consistently getting pushed, you pair those things together. It goes back to why was the Legion of Boone so good in Seattle? Cam Chancellor. Um, oh, gosh, I'm blanking on. Uh, Sherman, Richard Sherman, and then you pair that with Michael Bennett and Bruce Irvin in their in their prime of pass rushing. It just makes a great all-around combination. And then on offense, it really doesn't matter who's around you as long as 15's throwing the football. It, it, he's proven that time and time again. And then what a time for Kelsey to realize, oh, yeah, I am Travis Kelsey. It's probably time for me to start doing Travis Kelsey things again that I haven't done all year. Let's just do it when we get to the playoffs. It's just kind of an unfair matchup for the rest of the league at this point. And you're watching it unfold in front of your eyes and you still sometimes can't believe he does the things he does, but just incredible. But I want to go back and talk about the Spags thing because that plan he put together 
first of all, I think he rattled Munkin, the offensive coordinator for the, the Ravens, early. Right? He he went and sold out early on, hey, stop the run. Stop the run, stop the run, stop the run. And three-yard run, eight-yard run. And also it's like you end the game and Baltimore's going, we rushed the ball 11 times. The number one rushing offense in the league rushed the ball 11 times, three of which were done to Gus Edwards, our leading carry. Like, it just didn't make sense. And to ask Lamar to throw that many times, put him in bad positions, Spags, hat off to him. What a performance by that Kansas City defense. I also think that the pressure really got to some people and we saw panic throughout this playoffs with certain teams. We saw panic in Dallas when they got down seven to zero and then lost their minds and were yelling at each other on the sideline. And then the rest of it went from there. And we saw the pressure and panic get to Baltimore. And I think that, you know, when there's the outside stuff of, can this guy really win? Or is this team really good enough to get over the hump and the pressure of being the number one team versus Kansas city, which somehow took an underdog approach to this. It was like, well, we're no one thinks we're going to do it kind of thing. We've and plus they've been there so many times before they go into the game completely calm and you could see the Ravens panicking early. And that is Rex Ryan called it the worst game plan he's ever seen on TV. And of course, you know, you don't get, you don't get on TV unless you're like Rex Ryan, you're over the top. But it is one of the worst game plans you're ever going to see from a team that is rooted in its run game and everything plays off it to all of a sudden saying, no, we've got to drop back a hundred times. And despite having good weapons, it's not like they have great weapons. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, say flowers, my dude, do not reach the ball out. And I I couldn't believe this thing popped up again with a fumble turning into a touchback uh, in the playoffs. But The Ravens were the best team in the NFL, in my opinion, all year long. And then they lost their minds. And if you do that against Kansas City, I mean, how many times did this happen against Tom Brady, where a team should have won? Carolina should have won. They kick it out of bounds on a kickoff. Atlanta's up 28 to three. We just would see teams. It was like they'd look over there and you got that Dave Chappelle show aura, like with, with the Prince episode. It's like that's what they were seeing. And to your point about Travis Kelsey, I think more than anything, just healthy. He yeah. hurt himself early in the season against the Vikings. He dragged his leg around all year, but now he's at close to 100%, and the guy is just terrific. I it's If I'm San Francisco, I'm probably – unhappy to see Patrick Mahomes. I think I'm like, (laughs) oh man, you know, I much would have rather seen Baltimore show up here. Yeah. Even with Baltimore kicking their teeth in earlier in the year, I'd rather face the Ravens than to face Patrick Mahomes with the way he's playing football right now. They hit stride at the perfect moment. They, they weathered the storm of injuries. They weathered the storm of guys dropping balls and trying to just figure out the formula that worked for them. And that is a part of what makes Mahomes so great is it went from years of when he first got in the league of just airing it out, deep shots, right? Tyree kill over the top, big explosive plays. All right, we got to contain that. And then, okay, let's make him throw underneath. And then he struggled to realize that. Now he can do both, right? You just allowed him, the defensive quarters in the league, by taking away one thing, educated him how to do something else. And that drive that he was orchestrating, the second drive of the game that just went straight down the field, Dink and dunk, take what the defense gives you. Don't press, don't force anything, checking into the right place, seeing the blitzes, knowing where to throw. That was as demoralizing as a drive that I've seen in the NFL this year. You saw the Ravens come off the sideline, a defense that has been dominant, right? Non, you don't run on these dudes. Michael Pierce is in there eating up everybody. Patrick Queen, Roquan Smith are running through gaps. You saw them come off the sideline and sit on the bench like, what the hell just happened? 
Like, is that going to be all game? And it sure as crap was. Like, they just went up and down the field just time after time, and you just couldn't get a beat on them. And they had the the Ravens on their heels over and over again. And so, yeah, if I'm San Fran, I'm going, man, what, what do we do to get to this dude? Like, we have to get him on the ground. But hats off that offensive line to Kansas City as well. You know, Algretti comes in playing against Matabuki, who's one of the top two, if not three, defensive tackles in the league. He has one big play. Right, one big sack. He gets him on the ground one time. Other than that, Mahomes was doing Mahomes things all game. So it's going to be a great matchup. I'm super excited to see the blueprint that San Fran tries to take away from Mahomes and then just to watch how Mahomes adjusts in real time. And if Purdy can play like he did in the second half, we're in for a heck of a game. Let's give uh, Valdez Scantling credit for catching the ball in the he playoffs. He always does <laughs> that, man. He always has one unreal catch in the playoffs. We're like, oh, there he is again. Well, you just signed yourself another extension, I guess, my friend. That's all it takes. And it was much harder than half of his drops for this year <laughs> where he kind of had to like contort his body and turn around. But, you know, I, I always used to think with Brady and the Patriots, which are now really the only recent comp for what Kansas City is doing, is that Brady would just make so few mistakes that they would just wait till the other team made theirs. And that's kind of what Mahomes has done during this playoffs. And he's turned it on when he's needed to, but he hasn't taken any sacks. He hasn't taken any uh, shots that he didn't need to or scrambled and thrown the ball into crazy positions to turn into interceptions. It's like when you have all the scrambling stuff, but none of, none of the mistakes and you could be patient and operate your offense the way it's designed by Andy Reid. I mean, it's just terrifying. And then turn it up whenever you want. It was a 16 play drive what you're talking about. But then at any given moment, if the other team starts to get impatient, he can hit you over the top with a big shot. And I don't know that there's really a good answer to that. There isn't, right? There's no, you almost have to just hope he makes a mistake, which he did earlier in the year, right? There's a few picks where you're like, that's that's not what I'm used to seeing. And he's eliminated those errors. And I don't know if it's him getting more comfortable. I mean, Rasheed Rice turning into a number one receiver that is a go-to guy for him that really didn't emerge until Tony went down. And then Valdez Scantley was kind of not, catching so he was going away from him Kelsey gets hurt and he just developed in front of our eyes and that's a testament to Andy Reid and that entire offensive coaching staff of getting a young player in there developing him throughout the year and allowing him to come into his own in real time right that's a that's a whole nother thing that no one really saw coming from that guy as being like are you a true number one on this team probably not and all of a sudden it's like well yeah yes you are I mean the screenplay that gets called back is one of the plays that no one talks about unreal run by that guy unreal call first of all and then just an unreal run by them to be able to execute that you know a lot is talked about Mahomes greatness right we have talked about the six six years starting six AFC championships four Super Bowls but someone brought a stat up to me today that was like this is the true greatness if you think about it Mahomes is now the third all-time most winning quarterback in the playoffs behind only Brady and Joe Montana. That's it, right? And he's only two games away from Joe Montana, right? Joe Montana is 16. Mahomes has 14. He's 28 years old. He's 28. You're like, yeah, 35 for Brady. That's a pretty wild number when you really think about it. He played till he was 45. But, I mean, you look at some of the other guys on this list. He passes Manning, Young, Elway, Bradshaw, Roethlisberger, Favre. I mean, to do what he's done at such a young age, that, for me, is the stat that really just epitomizes his greatness. Before we talk about the other side in the NFC, I am obligated to mention that they had a quarterback who was pretty good and had them competitive and decided to draft Patrick Mahomes. Just throwing that out there. Hey, also, I looked up 
just out of curiosity, because uh, last night when I was doing the live stream, people were pointing out Bo Nix's weaknesses. And just for the record, I'm not saying Bo Nix will become Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> but just just to show you like draft analysis and how we just pick apart and pick apart and pick apart. We are talking about already at his age, the most successful quarterback of all time, Patrick Mahomes. So I pulled up on NFL.com all of his weaknesses from draft season, just so as you're watching and going, oh, well, this guy doesn't do this or he doesn't do that or he's not whatever enough. This is Patrick Mahomes' weaknesses in 2017 come out in the draft. Can be inconsistent in his approach. Needs to play inside the offense and show more discipline. Too eager to go big game hunting. Ravenous appetite for explosive plays can bring unwanted trouble. I have a ravenous appetite. A ravenous appetite. Yeah, I was for tacos is what I have for. <laughs> uh, willingness to default to playground style appears to limit his ability to get in a consistent rhythm. Needs to improve anticipatory reads and learn to take what the defense gives him. Decision making can go from good to bad in a moment's notice. Operates from a narrow base. You never want to have a narrow base. If you have a narrow base, then you are undraftable. Allows his upper body and arm to race ahead of his feet. That was Patrick Mahomes and what they said about him at the draft. That's that, that quarterback sounds awful. Um, so he's good thing that every, Kansas City didn't pay attention. He's turned every single one of those into a strength, right? Mm -hmm. Like everyone now applauds him for his creativity. Right, his ability to create outside the pocket, also known as background high school, like recess football. Right, is that? I mean, and then it's like, well, narrow base, but his arm doesn't need a base. He can throw it flat-footed if he wants to on a rope for sixty yards. We were watching the plays. We were breaking it down today on the one where he scrambles forever and then throws it to Kelsey. He is engulfed by four defenders facing to his left. And just like shot puts it to his right to Kelsey. It's unbelievable, right? All that stuff is, yeah, it's not what you're looking for when you talk about a sound quarterback. But if he makes plays, who cares? Who cares? Like if it can translate and if you can look at it and go, can that translate to the NFL, right? Can the background stuff translate? In 2017, we all probably would have said probably not, right? We're, we're the pockets, there's rhythm, da, da, da. but the, in today's NFL, creating is half the battle. Because those DBs, good luck chasing those receivers without giving just a tiny tug for a flag or anything. If you can create, it's a huge strength anymore. It's not really looked at as a negative. Folks, have you ever heard of test driving a phone network? I did not make this up. It is an actual thing. And U.S. Cellular is letting you test drive their network for free for 30 days. You can try out U.S. Cellular wherever you have that spotty service, like on your commute to work, that one spot in your house where your service dips. Test drive U.S. Cellular at your kid's school on parent-teacher night. Okay, maybe still pay attention, but by all means, make sure you test it. It's as easy as doing a little boop, boop, boop on your phone. That was me getting the app to try it out. I know, great sound effects there. Test Drive U.S. Cellular's award-winning network for 30 days. U.S. Cellular built for us. Terms apply. Awards based on open signal independent data. Visit uscellular.com for details. So with Patrick Mahomes, uh, when he was coming out in the draft, I really liked him. Now, this is not to say that I get them right because I definitely get them wrong sometimes. But the reason was the stuff he was getting criticized for right there. And this is not wrong. Like, that is how he played. It was 
a, a ridiculous, absurd, stupid offense he was in in college, and he just ran around and made plays. But as we watch Brock Purdy on the San Francisco side and Mahomes, there's something that I have always leaned toward, which is the ability to make the defense wrong when they're right. And not too long ago, I was watching, uh, and uh, your dad's a Bronco fan, right? Mm-hmm. He would appreciate this. There was an NFL film's hour-long special talking about all the great comebacks of John Elway's mm. career. And his career wasn't even over yet when they made it, to show you how many times he did it. And in every single one of these legendary comebacks, the drive, the drive to all these amazing plays. There's always one play where John Elway has to scramble, where he's the, the defense has done something right. He's under pressure and he's got to go outside of the structure and make a play. And I can't help think even watching Brock Purdy run for 20 yards a couple times to destroy the Lions uh, as they melted down that this is what's really missing with the Vikings at their quarterback position. It's not that Kirk cousins can't throw my gosh. He's a great thrower of the football. It's that he can't make the defense wrong when they're right. And even in comparison to Brock Purdy, is he a better thrower than Brock Purdy? Of course he is. I don't even think it's close, but yet Purdy has this ability to be scrambling around a little bit and make something happen when it's not there. And you're probably never going to get Mahomes out of this. If you're the Vikings in the draft, but can you get somebody who can at least do that part though yeah and even look at Jared Goff fourth and two you roll him out he's got one option right it's fourth and two he scrambles he's rolling he ain't making it three yards before getting hawked down by one of those DBs if that is Brock Purdy if that is Patrick Mahomes Josh Allen even Joe Burrow just enough mobility in this league is dangerous right you don't have to be Lamar Jackson you don't have to be Cam Newton you don't even have to be Josh Allen just enough mobility to keep the defense honest in coverage is all you need. And that's why you're seeing the transition away from the Kirk Cousins, the Jared Goffs, the Tom Brady's, the Peyton Manning's. Like those guys don't exist anymore because the game in college doesn't exist like that anymore. Right. And so college always catches up, or the NFL always seems to catch up to college based off of like the athletic profile of certain positions because they eventually feed their way into the NFL. Like everyone always kind of looks at college like they started the RPO in college. At the end of it, I was like, oh, RPO, we turn our nose up to the RPO. How dare you? But then you start getting all these players that participated in an RPO system and run it really well. Then the NFL then adapts back down. And now you're seeing the RPO then, right? The spread, right? The spread in college. Remember when Oregon did it for the first time? No one's mind just, oh, what's happening? Dennis Dixon, wow. And then all of a sudden the NFL is like, well, maybe we should do that. And you're seeing that trend with the quarterback position as well. You're seeing these guys come in the league that don't have the crazy pocket timing arm talent like a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady or those Eli Manning. But what they can do is create and deliver accurate balls on the run. That's what the quarterbacks are doing in the league that they're in the college. That's going to come into the league. And that's what's going to drive the quarterback position for the next decade. So does that mean the Vikings should trade up for Jaden Daniels? Is that what you're saying? I would gladly, I would be very happy if the Vikings traded up for Jaden Daniels because you can't win the lot if you don't play. You, you got to try. And I saw a, a tweet came out the other day, and I don't know if you retweeted or someone. The Vikings have never taken a quarterback in the first round, ever, right? They're one of few teams. No, that's not right. What was the, they drafted? Not, not quite. That's not true. In the top, ten. Uh, outside the top 10. Outside yeah. the top 10. <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I was outside the top 10. The Vikings have never taken a quarterback. Right. So inside the top 10, they've yes, never taken gosh, a quarterback my brain CTs all over the place inside the top 10. 
They need to try. <laughs> they need to try. They've actually never had a quarterback. Like they've just played tight ends. I butchered that take so bad. That was a total. I I apologize retraction. I butchered that take awfully. I think everyone <sighs> understands. Well, everyone understands. Just draft a quarterback. Yes. I, if there's one, if there is one hesitation for me on Michael Penix, as much as I really, really love his arm, it is this thing because I think that the high end of Michael Penix is probably Jared Goff, which is a pocket quarterback who is a little erratic sometimes with the football, but man, can he heave it super fast? But can he escape and run and make a play like against Michigan? He was so overwhelmed. That was really part of the issue is that. He could not escape. He could not make a play where we've seen it from Bo Nix off schedule stuff and Jaden Daniels. And of course, you know, Caleb Williams is the elite of the elite with right. this. We've seen it enough with Drake May. Like you're right. And the, the weird thing about this is it feels like a bit of a new phenomenon. And yet, there's always quarterbacks through history who did this. One of my favorites growing up was Steve McNair. Like Steve McNair yes. is an ultimate playmaking quarterback. And I, I just I think that Brady Rivers. Although Roethlisberger was like this too, but Brady Rivers and Manning kind of made us think like, oh yeah, the pocket is the way to do it. It just turned out that those guys were actually better than everybody else at doing it. And uh, playmaking is still very, very good. So on the other side, uh, Detroit, uh, I know that some Vikings fans have told me I'll never root for Detroit. They're in our division. And I congratulate you on that, I guess. But I thought it would have been very cool to see Detroit go to a Super Bowl. They fought for so long. They are in the brotherhood of calamity, which includes the Vikings, includes the Bills, Detroit, Cleveland, all these teams that uh, never make it. San Diego until they do something. I mean, to see them fall apart like that was very dramatic, incredibly memorable, uh, frustrating to watch the dialogue on the internet and on television following it up, but an all-time memorable game. Yeah, I mean that game really the highs and the lows of it. I wanted the I wanted the Lions to win for all the reasons you said too. I love Dan Campbell. I love the way they play the game. I love the way their offense is set up and they have two really good tackles. So anytime a team has really good tackles, I always seem to root for them too and I love watching Penny Sewell play. So the more I get to watch him play, the more I get excited. And I really want them to go, but it really all comes down to my opinion is two plays. Right, two plays. The interception, there the should have been interception that if it's a spear, it spears him right between the eyes and he's laying there in the turf. And then the fumble by Jameer Gibbs. And from there, Detroit was reeling. Like Detroit was reeling. And I personally am from the thought of I understand Dan Campbell's aggressive nature. I understand going for the first fourth down and being true to who you are. That second fourth down where you have the chance to kick the field goal and tie it. I felt like that could have been a moment to bring the momentum and bring everything back to the status quo, right? You rode the wave, you rode the high energy, the low, everything, but now you've gotten it back to the status quo. Let's play ball. And that for me is the hard part I'm struggling with. Of I, I go back and forth. I, someone actually texted me like, are you having an internal debate with yourself as we're discussing this? Cause I was like going back and forth to the fence of stay true to who you are. It's what got you here or you should level everything out and keep going, but he stayed true to who he was and I don't fault him for it, but man, what a, what a decision to have to make. And hopefully it's not a career defining decision, which it very well could come out to be. 
So uh, more numbers came out on this as we went along because very smart people started to analyze it. And one of the things that's worth noting is that Dan Campbell's aggressive approach uh, was worth more in terms of win probability added throughout the season, his decision making, than anybody else who was coaching uh, on Sunday, which I, I think says a lot about that approach. And there's a reason why more coaches go for it than they ever have, because it adds up over time. And in the Kansas City and Baltimore game, Kansas City was out there going for it on fourth downs, but they converted them. So no one talked about it. And it didn't result in the very next drive, a guy having a ball bounce off his face mask and turn into a 50 yard gain. Like we usually re-engineer the after mm -hmm. like knowing the results and say, well, now my opinion is that they should have done this or that, where if he completes a two yard pass and the guy catches it, then we would have never remembered it. Uh, they might've gone on to do anything. They might've fumbled the next ball. They might've kicked the field goal anyway. We don't even know the one late in the game is harder. Cause I thought, I thought like, okay, well, it's probably a coin flip for this one. The whole three score thing is relevant, but it's also midway through the third and you're playing a top offense in the league with a bad defense. So it's not like the game was over if you make that field goal, but the kicker is horrible. Like I, what I didn't even realize even right after, after people showed the math of like, when this guy kicks it over 45 yards, he's a disaster. I think that he only played like four games for them. He had been cut by other teams. I mean, you are not rolling out. And I saw Tom Brady was like, they should have taken the points, but Tom, for you, it was taking the points. <laughs> yeah. You had the goat kicker. You had Adam Vinatieri. This guy never missed and had nerves of steel and this kicker wasn't even good kicking indoors. And uh, I was reminded of week three, 2022, where Dan Campbell decided to kick a field goal to go <clears throat> to go up on the Vikings, trying to go up by 10, I think, or something like that, or trying to go up by seven, whatever it was late in the game. His kicker was bad. The guy missed. The Vikings get the ball, go score a touchdown and win the game. And guess what everybody said after the game? Should have gone for it, right? So... That's kind of how this always ends up working. But in my mind, it was what we were talking about with Baltimore. They freaked out. It's like they felt the, uh-oh, now something's about to go bad because we had we had a disaster and then let it all come apart. And I don't know whose fault it was in the handoff. Kind of going to assume it was the rookie running back. But that to me was the like, oh my gosh, they are melting type of moment. And it, it's just... I like to pick apart all the things that caused it, but it's so much more than a failed fourth down. Yeah, no, the game in itself has so many more like intricacies than that, and it's really easy to highlight the thing. But the thing I will say about both San Francisco and Kansas City that stood out to me, they were in control of their emotions the entire game. They did not allow their emotions to affect the outcome of the game. And I can't say the same for Detroit and the Ravens, especially the Ravens. Right, because when you get into these conference championship games, the margin is razor thin. I mean, razor thin. One one penalty, one turnover is going to make the entire difference in the game. When you're talking about elite of elite teams, right? This isn't going against a team that's not going to make the playoffs or has a rookie running a rookie quarterback that can't make the plays. These are the best of the best. These are usually the best football games of the year. And when you talk about two critical errors of a dropped interception and a fumble and then you go on the other side of a critical taunting penalty with Zay Flowers and then another fumble those are the differences and so much of those are emotion driven 
right? Emotion driven. It has nothing to do with the X's and O's. It's execution. And execution can run amok when you let your emotions control you. And I think both the teams that lost on conference, conference championship weekend were not in control of their emotions at all. They were riding the waves. I had an offensive line coach that used to use the term, be a thermostat, not a thermometer, right? Be the thermostat, be steady. And the teams that won were, they stayed the course. They understood, hey, there's going to be highs and lows, but we don't change. The teams that lost, I felt rode that wave a little bit too much and ultimately came out on the L. All right, when it comes to Detroit, we all assumed that one of the biggest uphill climbs they would face this offseason was that they were going to lose their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, Mm. who has been terrific. Just a few minutes ago, as we're recording this, uh, it comes out that Ben Johnson is returning to Detroit. So after the game, and you talk about respecting Dan Campbell, I respect that the guy just says whatever he wants to say. Like whatever is in Dan Campbell's big old tight end heart is coming out. <laughs> and after the game, he says, we might never be back. And that is true. And uh, so you lived this of like, hey, you got there to Philadelphia with a chance and didn't pull it off. And then everyone had the Vikings as the Super Bowl winners the next year. And uh, of course, they lost a rotational offensive lineman mm. and they just could not overcome couldn't that. They melted down. Yep. Yep. And uh, Mr. Third down, Jerry's right. And they just couldn't couldn't get back. Those were the only two reasons it happened. And uh but that's a, a great point, though, mm-hmm. because the Vikings have played a divisional weekend one time since then. But with Detroit, Ben Johnson coming back, they have everybody back, cap space, top 100 draft picks. I see no way that this team is disappearing. It feels more like this team is just starting. I, I tend to agree with you on the just starting piece. The part that will be hard is when you have so many young players that ride the emotion of their coach, right? That ride the emotional highs of their coach because that's how he's ingrained into them. For them to, the rookies especially, that just came off the hardest year of their life. From last January to this point now, at the end of the next January, has been 20 or has been 13 months of just craziness. And now you look at them, you take an entire month off their offseason, say, see in April. Like the ability to bounce back from something like that is really hard to do, especially even some of the veterans that are getting older, like to lose this time in your off season is a tough thing to do. And to bring them back in April and be like, all right, rack them up again, boys, here we go. It's a learning thing that takes just time to learn. So that will be curious to me how they start next year, right? Do they bring the energy that they carried the last half of this year into it? Or are they a slow start team again trying to refine and reinvigorate that emotion that they all banded together and went to? But the talent on this team is just too good for me to think that they're going to fail again. Like I can see this being a 10-11 win team again next year, but I don't see this team all of a sudden being like, oh, they went 500. Like There's just too much talent. The question then does arise, what do you do with Jared Goff? Right, He's got one more year left on his deal. They drafted Hendon Hooker last year to probably supersede him eventually. Right, So those type of questions come in. But with the cap space and everything that's involved, I, I really don't see this team not being back at least as a playoff and a, a division title fighting with the Packers, the Vikings, the Bears, whoever it may be. There's no way they just fall off the map with the amount of talent that they have on this team. Yeah, I think with uh, Jared Goff, what you do is you open the F them picks window. So uh, Kansas City was built around Patrick Mahomes after they lost, you know, Tyreek Hill and whatever by draft picks. Uh, Trent McDuffie and like they've just Pacheco. They've just drafted a bunch. Of, you mentioned Rice, a bunch of really good players, and that's how they've been able to manage the expensive contract of Patrick Mahomes. The same thing goes for Detroit and what they have right now. And I think the way you structure 
structure a Jared Goff contract extension is to go all in on this window. You probably have three or four years, and then you're looking around with your cap space going, any disgruntled megastars that we could trade for? Hey, free agents, come play for Man Campbell. Let's go. And I think these teams, they see how that team gels around their coach. They see that they're on the cusp, and then the rich get richer with free agents and things like that. So I, I think that they can pry the window open for a couple more years. Now, three years from now, it will get very difficult. The cap, you're going to have to pay a lot of guys. And we'll run into probably a Vikings thing where once they paid everyone, you couldn't fill out those smaller parts of the roster. Uh, but I think they're going to be here for a while, especially with their uh, coordinator coming back. Um, but it is really noticeable how these teams were built. And a lot of it is drafting. And then a lot of it is understanding the moment, understanding where you are. Kansas City understanding, like we don't have to do the F them picks thing. We don't have to go trade for everybody because we can draft them and Pat will make them great. And, and I think, I think that's just, I think it's really, it's really smart. It's a really smart approach or San Francisco knowing that they have the roster to compete for a championship and being like, is it wise to trade for Christian McCaffrey? Maybe not, but we're doing it anyway. Is it wise to trade up to try to get Trey Lance? Probably not, but we're doing it anyway. Cause we've got this caliber of a team. So fascinating to kind of pick that stuff apart. Um, now when it comes to, uh, the Vikings, we are, in a situation where uh, they have to decide in the coming weeks, because now uh, we're getting close, buddy, what their timeline is going to be. And I'm writing an article about this, and I'm very curious to get your opinion. How they should view their timeline as you watched all this playoffs and just, to me, waving giant flags that say, do not run it back. Do not run it back because you're not going to compete with these types of teams and how complete their rosters are. But how would you lay out when they can create a window for themselves and how they should get there? Yeah, it starts this year, right? It starts in the combine is, is kind of the, the launching off point, right? Because that's when free agency starts. Free agency, it's not technically legal, but whatever. It starts at the combine. Everyone knows it. Right, you start talking about what the structure of your team looks like. You start looking at the rookies that you want to start adding to your team. And so you need to go into the combine as a front office with a strategy of who stays, who goes, and what's the price for the guys that we're not going to budge on. Right. And you go into it with that strategy. And with that being the number one conversation that we're going to have from here until the draft of the quarterback position. And so let's say they decide to move on from Kirk Cousins if he doesn't accept X number, right? He's in one of those categories. If you decide that and he says, I'm not taking that number, then your window starts next year, right? Your window then begins with a rookie quarterback that you have to draft and say, okay, the window starts right here in year one. Who do we need to get rid of? That's going to hurt. That's going to hurt us. It's going to hurt the fans. It's going to hurt the city, but who do we need to try and capitalize from the bigger picture of us as a, as a team with some draft picks, with some cap space, with some guy getting older. Right. Who is that? Who are those guys? And so that starts coming into free agency in March. And then once you go, you start going all in on your free agents that you think are middle of the road guys that are going to be contributors, but not the top end guys. You don't want to pay them all right now. Get your cap back under control over the next 365 days and then really enter enter into that championship window a year and a half from now. Right. A year and a half from now. Right. So you're going through the entire next season. You go into the draft next year. Either the quarterback's your guy or he's not. 
you have to pay Jefferson or you don't. You've traded Dino Hunter or you haven't. Harrison Smith's a Viking or he's not. Like all these things play in. And I truly think that the, the championship window with a young quarterback, if that's the route you go, starts a year and a half from now. Now let's go the other direction. Kirk Cousins says, I will take X amount of dollars. I want to be here. I want to be apart from this. That changes the strategy as much as the championship window starts right then. Because if you sign Kirk Cousins back, there is no other option. There is no other option. It's NFC championship or bust or else that sign makes no sense. So you then have to decide we have to draft really well and what we pick and strategically pick those guys that are going to be contributors in the top three rounds specifically. And then we might have to overpay with the cap room that we do have to keep some of the core guys around or else everything falls apart from underneath us. So I tend to lean towards option one. But a lot of it is the linchpin of Kirk Cousins back yes, back no. We had the ridiculous report of $45 million a year, which makes absolutely no sense for either one of those scenarios. So it's such a conundrum to be in because I guarantee you they watched these games. They saw the Lions. They saw the Packers. They see the draft capital the Bears have. And we're kind of stuck in the middle, almost nowhere, no man's land at this exact moment until we start making those critical decisions as a front office. Folks, Lucy is upping the nicotine pouch game with breakers, pouches, packing a little something extra inside. What are Lucy breakers? If you know your pouches, then you know that the nicotine doesn't hit immediately and neither does the flavor. But the geniuses at Lucy came up with a brilliant way to fix both of those problems. They put a mini liquid capsule inside each breaker's pouch. So here's what you do. You get the breaker's pouch, break it with your teeth, and it makes a satisfying pop. Then put it in your lip and enjoy Enjoy the immediate nicotine and flavor release. Nobody is doing anything like this except for Lucy. It's a new kind of pouch technology only available from Lucy. There's six delicious flavors, including apple ice espresso and classics like mint and mango. Break up with your dusty gas station pouches and go to lucy.co slash purpleinsider. Use the promo code purpleinsider and get 20% off your first offer. Lucy offers free shipping and has a 30-day refund policy if you change your mind. That's lucy.co. Use the code purpleinsider and get 20% off and always free shipping. Now, here comes the fine print. Lucy products are only for adults of legal age and every order is age verified. Morning. This product contains nicotine, and nicotine is an addictive chemical. Folks, if you've been listening to the show, then you know how much fun we have been having with prize picks this year. Just go to prizepicks.com slash purple. Use the code purple for a first deposit match up to $100. And let me tell you how it works. If you haven't heard us talk about it enough yet, or you haven't tried it yet, very simple. There are yardage totals on prize picks. You either pick more or less and boom. Each week has been a roller coaster ride of fun. And the best part is that when I have a bad week, I didn't lose much. It doesn't cost much to play. You can turn 10 bucks into 250 very easily. And if things go sideways for you, you're not out a whole heck of a lot of money. That is prizepicks.com slash purple. Just more or less on yardage totals and you are in. prizepicks.com slash purple. The code purple for a first deposit match up to $100. Uh, that is the hardest part because when the Quasi Dafamensa and Kevin O'Connell took over, it, you're never running a race where everyone starts at the same spot. And where they were was ahead, but 
they weren't going to be ahead for long. And I don't know how to make this a horse racing comparison, but somebody was about to inject steroids in the horses behind them in the form of tanking, which is exactly what happened with the Lions and what has been happening with Chicago as they're on their way once they you know make these draft picks. And then, of course, you probably didn't realize that Jordan Love was going to be this good, but you better realize it now, right? So all of a sudden, all three teams in their builds have shot by you. And now you're looking around going, wait, if we add Kirk Cousins, does that give us enough juice to catch up to the real fast horses who have done the tanking steroid? Or is are you going to have to let yourself go back even a little bit more in order to have a chance to eventually catch up to them, as you said, looking into 2025? And one of the issues that I have with talking about signing free agents and, well, they could mess with the cap and add free agents around Kirk Cousins and rebuild this or that is that. There are 31 other teams who want these free agents, and there are probably 10 to 12 teams that feel like they're in a Super Bowl window who can offer whatever amount. Some of them can offer way more than you can offer by their salary cap versus yours if you bring back an expensive quarterback, and some can just offer a much better chance at winning. So you know, you think about Joe Tooney. Everybody was like, the Vikings should get Joe Tooney. Uh, hell yeah, you should have got Joe Tooney, but you couldn't offer him as much money as Kansas City at the time. You couldn't offer him Kansas City. And this is the problem. You can't offer somebody San Francisco. Now you can't offer somebody Detroit. You can't offer somebody, hey, come join a team that was just in the playoffs. Green Bay is a good example. They could create enough cap space to sign somebody and they could say, hey, Look at where we're at with our quarterback. And of course, players consider this. Do I have a chance to go potentially win? Hell yeah, I want to do that. And who does that surround around? The quarterback. And that Vikings team, they don't have a lot of money to offer me and don't have a quarterback who has any resume to say that they're going to be able to get there. And you expect you're going to sign a bunch of free agents and, and like totally rebuild your team. So I find that to be a very dubious approach if they were to do it. I think the only way to do it is to try to drop back a little bit in the race and be, I think, a very interesting team next year with a rookie quarterback. I was going to ask you, I made a list of quarterbacks that they could acquire uh, that and, and we don't have to go through every single one of them, but I can read you some of the list and you can tell me what you think uh, that they could acquire. And um, like, as those a bridge, guys, like as a bridge quarterback? Yes. Okay. Yes. To be to be paired with a Rookie. draft pick. Got it. All right. So let me go through them. So I did include Kyler Murray on this list. I don't think that's happening, but, you know, just he wouldn't be paired with a rookie, but the, it's still floating in the air. Uh why don't you just give me a, like a quick reaction to each one? Okay. Uh, Mac Jones. Hate it. Yeah. Hate yeah. It. I, 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 yeah. I, I can't. I don't think he fits KOC's system. I think he's a poor man's Kirk Cousins. And I don't think his personality type is built to be a guy paired with another guy, which mm -hmm. could actually make it very hard for him to stay in the league. Because yeah. if you think that you're like the guy, they will not and want you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Baker Mayfield. Don't hate it. I don't hate Baker Mayfield. I think his time in the league, I think the way he's gone team to team to team has humbled him a lot. I think he had great success this year. He deserves to get paid, but he left enough question marks this year as well to know that maybe you're not the long-term solution, but you can come in and, and win us a lot of football games. Like You can be competitive. You can be a good leader. I feel like all that's gone. I don't hate the idea of having him in purple next year paired with a young guy to learn and teach because he's also been through so much. He can put a lot of wisdom on some of those young players. 
I like it. He was already paired with Kyle Trask this year, so it's not something he hasn't been through. And I don't think you have to pay him the same. He can get the ball to open receivers, as we saw with Mike Evans having a tremendous year this year. If you want to stay competitive and rebuild, then Baker Mayfield, I think, is your guy with less commitment. And he's just way the heck younger Mm -hmm. than Kirk Cousins. And how different is he really? He's more reckless with the football. He's got a stronger arm. But how different is he really? They went nine and eight with a decent team. Uh, how about Gardner Minshew? I think he is the definition of a game manager. And we, I don't want to get into this what Cam said, but like when I think when I look at Gardner Minshew, I don't see him being a guy that can come in and take command of an entire room, take command of an offense, which you have to do. I think he's a great backup. He's a guy you want in your room that can go out there and perform well. But when you talk about paying a guy to come in and be the guy initially, I need a little more leadership. I need a little more moxie. I need a little bit more of being the dude than what I see from Gardner Minshew. Now, I really like the idea of having him as the backup for the guy. So if you drafted Bo Nix, like bring in Gardner Minshew as the backup. He's, he's not a good quarterback, though. Like yeah. that's th- th- see, I don't know when the definition of game manager just meant you're not Cam Newton. Like, OK, well, I mean, if you if you don't run a four or five and are six foot four and 220 pounds, you're a game manager. Like, I don't know. A guy who's in the MVP running it in the Super Bowl as a quarterback who makes plays with his legs is not a game manager. But I guess Brock Purdy was indeed not drafted first <laughs> overall. I mean, that's the only if you didn't know where he was drafted, no one told you. You'd be like, wow, that guy's a franchise quarterback. So anyway, uh, Russell Wilson. No, hard out. He's old. I mean, you can say what you want about the way Denver treated him, but I still remember when he first got to Denver and it was he wanted his own office and he wanted his own this and he wanted like a little bit of entitlement. He's earned that right. He did great in Seattle, but it's a what are you done for me lately league. You don't change who you are overnight, regardless of what come from. I think that's too much of a headache. And he's starting to reach that that balance of power that I talk about a lot of on-field performance, off-the-field nonsense, right? Regardless if it's good or bad, his on-field performance has gone this way and his off-field nonsense has started to peak. And he's starting to get to that kind of even mark. You don't, you don't want those guys because they bring a little bit more circus than it's worth. Well, you should talk. I mean, you expected when you came over to the studio for it to be, quote, big enough for you. Uh, that was the total diva behavior. So uh, I could I mean, I just I don't think an older quarterback makes any more sense than Kirk Cousins would. Yeah. Like what's Flacco? the difference? The, the only difference is that because of this weird offsetting language thing, you could pay Russell Wilson basically nothing and Denver would have to pay him, which would be hilarious. So if they did that, I'd be like. Okay, well, my big gripe is that the quarterback yeah. is too expensive. So, <laughs> I I think Russell's too Russell is too proud to do that though, right? To to have a my average per year is six million. R- Russell's not going to have his name next to that. He just won't. Like, not many quarterbacks I know that are going to say, "Well, I, the other team's footing the bill because I sucked over there, so let them pay it, and you guys just pay me peanuts so I can stick it to them." I, I don't think many quarterbacks' DNAs are are wired like that. Yeah, I mean, to quote uh, both Kirk Cousins and Raekwon, it's what the dollars represent. That's uh, <laughs> It's not the money, it's what the dollars represent. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, so we, we agree. I don't think Russell Wilson's a great fit. Also, for uh, it's a pocket quarterback type of system, and I don't know that that's exactly what you're looking for with, a, with Russell Wilson. Uh, Ryan Tannehill. I like Ryan Tannehill. 
I think he brings enough mobility to the position. He's shown that he can push the ball down the field to AJ Brown and those type of guys when he had them. But the biggest thing, the question mark and why I, I hedge a little bit with Ryan is he's always been around a phenomenal run game. Always. Right. He's never not had Derrick Henry. He's never not had these dudes when he's been the starter of being like, man, I can just hand it off when things get into troublesome and then I'll just play action deep shot. Complete opposite philosophies of what KOC is going to bring. It's going to be, can he develop into that at this point in his career or is he is who he is, which I don't think meshes well with what KOC wants to do. Right. With Ryan Tannehill. And again, it would be paired with whomever, but He's a guy who you throw the ball 450 times a year and you average nine yards an attempt on play actions, not you throw 680 times a year uh, and uh, are the centerpiece of the whole offense. Although Derrick Henry is a free agent, so you could just bring him with him. No, that's not a good idea for this team. Not not at all. Not at all. Um, Just I'll I'll run down the list of the rest of them and you tell me if you like any of them. Uh, Marcus Mariota, Tyrod Taylor, Jacoby Brissett, Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold. Anybody there? Maybe Jacoby Brissett. I think maybe Jacoby Brissett. He's proven to be capable. He also understands his role really well. I think he's going to understand that this is what I'm here for. I'm here to compete. Right. I want a chance to compete and be the starter, but I also understand if you draft a guy in the first round, I'm not going to raise a stink and be a cancer and I'm not going to shun that dude because he got brought in. And I didn't. That's probably the one name that jumps off the list to me there. Mariota's that washed. Seems like, Mariota's yeah, washed. I, I also I also question how much Mariota even really likes this whole thing. Um, I think he's much more comfortable as the backup who might play twice a year than he is if you had to play him a lot. Uh, and I also am not sure that I want him in the room with the rookie. Jacoby Brissett strikes me as a great person, mm-hmm. like just somebody that you would be a plus that dude is working with my rookie every day. And if we got to play him, he can go in and play, uh, but not. Yeah. Like, like a Ryan Fitzpatrick type of guy who you'd really want paired. But um, Sam Darnold was like mildly interesting to me. Cause I think it would be hilarious uh, watching him throw the ball down the field. Like if Nick, like a, it's like a supercharged Nick Mullins, he'll still throw interceptions like crazy, but his arm is, is way better. So it might be kind of fun. Uh, and if you really like stats spinning, if you really like stats spinning, and this is total stats spinning in Sam Darnold's last seven games, stop it. Since, <laughs> stop stick it with me <laughs> since 2021, after he, uh, was bad or whatever. Uh, he has a 91 quarterback rating, like not terrible. His last seven games, seven. I think Sam still believes in his heart of hearts that he's the guy. Right. And you were drafted second overall, right? First overall, where was he at? Uh, third, maybe third. Yeah, like like you're drafted top five, right? You don't, you don't lose that of, I was the guy. So I still should be the guy regardless of w- what you have. I think it's just in his DNA. Another one similar to the Mariota. Do you want him in that room with that young guy versus you, you compare that to a Baker Mayfield who's been through so much and found a way back to success. Right. Some of these quarterbacks that you're talking about have never found their way back to success since they went into the gutter. Right. They've always kind of just come back in the preseason, had a good enough preseason, and then you never hear from them again. If you're going to bring a guy like Tannehill, who may be able to bring himself back from the gutter, still hasn't proven that he can't, but like Darnold, Mariota, some of those other guys that you mentioned have never brought themselves back out from the gutter and consistently put a string of six to eight games of performance together. 
Yeah, I think uh, there's also a part of even like you you say, bring back from the gutter or just you were never supposed to really be anything to begin with. And you found a way to force your way into NFL locker rooms because you're a a good dude who understands the game, who just has just enough skill to stick around. And we're not talking even about like a Nick Mullins, but Brissett is more talented than him, but really not a guy who you would have bet on having a long career. And it sounded just to me like from what I read from Sam Howell and from Washington that he really worked with Sam Howell really well. Of course, Sam Howell doesn't have enough talent to be a starter either but as far as dealing with like the trials and tribulations of a young starting quarterback uh sound like he'd be a great guy to have so you kind of have like this range of possibilities of a baker mayfield can win you 10 games next season potentially uh paired with this offense but you also have kind of the traditional backup that you want working with your starting quarterback so there's lots of ways the vikings could go including potentially bringing back Kirk. So we will see. We will see. Uh, what is um, what is your initial feeling? And we'll talk before the Super Bowl to mm-hmm. really do like a big old preview. Just your initial feeling on who you're thinking right now will win the Super Bowl. Gut reaction. Haven't really studied a ton on like what I think the matchup's going to look like. I'm, I can't keep betting against Patrick Mahomes. I can't. I can't like right now. If you ask me if the game was tomorrow, I'm saying 15's finding a way to win the Super Bowl again. It's just I've bet against the last two games. Where I was like, Josh Allen's finally got his chance. This is it. He's going to do it. Lamar Jackson's finally going to get over that hump. He's going to do it, and he's proved me wrong two times in a row now, and in amazingly glorious, blazing fashion. I, I can't bet against the kid again at this moment. Well, maybe. Uh... Although I guess it would break some sort of uh, copyright rules. I was going to say for next week's show, we could just have the bed of music all Taylor Swift all the <laughs> way through it. the. the uh, we almost made it without mentioning her. You almost made it, Matt. Look, you got to you got to get it in the algorithm. Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. <laughs> YouTube, hear me. Taylor Swift. Yeah, NFL, That's 300, talked about. $331 million brought in. No wonder she was the front page of SportsCenter and ESPN when they won. I was like, you know, there's 52 other guys on that team that worked really freaking hard to get here, too. But I get it. Money talks. It's what the dollars represent. I also that's it's so that's so ball. I can't believe Kirk said something that baller, right? Right. But uh, what I guess what I would say about Taylor Swift is that maybe people weren't prepared for what true worldwide fame is with Taylor Swift. And I also saw this that somebody did the math on how often she's actually been shown on television, and it was zero point four six percent of the airtime. So. You know, we can just, uh, as uh, I think Kenny Stills said on Twitter, just close your eyes. They're going to show her. Just close your eyes if you're. You got to plug your ears, too, if it's Romo. Can can I? Oh, (laughs) can I just uh, I don't I don't like to trash broadcasters because I just don't care enough. I care about the football. I usually kind of turn it down. But like, did we did we prepare at all for this game or just like kind of arrive at the stadium Uh, on game day? I mean, I don't know. The best was that's game. Well, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of time left, but you know, it's like, dude, you literally just called game with 12 minutes left of the fourth. He's like, oh yeah, that's it. That's game. It's like, oh yeah, might as well turn it off now. Tony Hunt game is over. I ask you, and I, I know we, we usually wrap up here, but I, I do have one more question. Or I was trying to wrap up and just saying Taylor Swift's name over and over and over again. Yeah. But you know, the the idea that she was going to be a distraction for that team, I just never bought it because football players date celebrities. Like, I don't know. Yeah. 
Like she's she's crazy level of celebrity. (laughs) You know, it's a little different. But I remember Dennis Rodman dating Madonna and they won a championship. And Dennis Rodman is like the biggest distraction of any person ever. And it's like, I don't know. They got Jordan. I don't think any of this really matters. It's not a distraction until it becomes a problem. Right, because distractions distractions are when you're asking the team about what happened. Is this affecting like if they're just dating, it's they're just dating the distractions on the outside. If it were to blow up into a huge mega thing and now you're asking the left guard, hey, is Travis Kelsey's head in it because Taylor Swift wrote a song about him, then it becomes a distraction. Like it, it's a distraction on the outside because it's so visible. Internally in that locker room, it's like, yeah, Travis is dating Taylor Swift pretty freaking cool maybe my wife will get to meet her right like that's kind of as far as it goes as far as in the locker room it's not a true distraction i think locker room distractions can be like if your coach is lying to you and everyone's frustrated or you know what the quarterback said at the podium blaming his teammates or just jealousies within like this guy is playing instead of that guy and, and so forth. Um, those types of things can be distractions, maybe, maybe off the field type of stuff. Like if someone's getting in trouble and then yes. getting suspended and then you're looking at that guy going, what the hell? But the, the biggest distraction is when someone's just selfish. I think it's like when someone is really like self selfish, they're not playing their technique. They're not doing their job. They're just trying to get their stats. They're not blocking as a wide receiver. Like these types of things can become, I think much more of a distraction than, super rich and and super popular football player dates super rich and super popular <laughs> lady like yeah. i don't know i just yeah i don't know it's it's not a true distraction if any i mean both of them have made buku bucks off of it so i promise you they're not distracted <laughs> yeah how can we get um someone super famous to be around us we're both married so we can't date yeah. any of them but mm-hmm. like their podcast had so much success and I want that for us to talk about serendipity. Like the brothers are like, Hey, let's start a podcast and then let's meet in the super bowl together. Right. And have our mom on. And then, Hey, you should go date Taylor Swift. Like it's just been from the inception of that podcast. It's been nothing but the favor just dropped upon them. Well, we're, catching up we'll find behind. a way we'll, uh, we'll, find a way. we'll, we'll we get the do. steroid we're... tanking horses maybe maybe we need the <laughs> yeah, steroid right. tanking horses to get us back to the front that's right we need like post malone to come on or something <laughs> that's that's what we need all right uh anyway well we'll uh continue to talk next week preview the super bowl and so forth and carry on with whatever news comes up related to the vikings oh one i'm sorry one final thing congratulations to cj ham he is yes. going to the pro bowl because kyle use check is in the Super Bowl. And uh, just, I, I really appreciated how they got creative and used him in a different way, but kept him in a role. And uh, I thought that was smart from the coaching staff. And n- there is no more likable player. Nobody puts in more work than CJ Ham to be here. So good for him. Yeah. And he's one of the few left that I played with. He's, you know, I, he's one of the few remaining the, that are still there. So, so happy for him. I remember when he came in as a, as a rookie and the O-line loved him. Everyone loved the way he ran and to see the way he's carved a career out for himself has been fantastic. Okay. Now that's it for us. Goodbye. Goodbye. Football. See you later. Football.